0: Get to it.
1: All right, guys. Welcome to our first ever football outsiders presents edition of splash play spags. I'm excited.
0: This is a big one for us. We are with one of the most legendary brands at football analysis doing the same mediocre show you've gotten accustomed to over the last year and change, but we got a lot to hit on. We got week one takes, we got the waiver wire snake draft, the return of numbers. Don't lie where Pete will have to guess between three stats and find which one is fake. So a ton to get to. So let's do it. My friend. (music) Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, where I might be already a little bit loud on the microphone, but hopefully we're good to go now. And it's an exciting day. As we mentioned, it is our first show with Football Outsiders, part of the Edge Sports family that I am also now a part of. And Pete, I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Chris Fags, and I'm dragging my good friend Peter Overzet along for the ride. And Pete, you are now the most well-compensated man that I have hired within the one week of doing this job.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, when my takes turn around, does that mean I go to you to ask for a raise? Is that how this works?
0: Um, yeah, I think when you, if if you're really nice to me and ride or die picks (laughs) and you can ask for a little bit of a boost in the shekels we're throwing you week to week.
1: They're like, everyone's like, why did Peter just like roll over and agree with everything SPAC says? And it's like, well, he's trying to get a, a raise. Uh, so that if you, if that happens now, you know why.
0: Yes, man. Pete was not the turn that we expected here, but it is exciting for us. So guys hit the like button, whether you're watching on peach channel or the splash play channel, or figuring out how we work with the football outsiders ecosystem as well, but obviously excited to be a part of there. So the first plug we have to give really should be for them. Go check out FO plus at footballoutsiderscom slash subscribe. You can see it there on the bottom of the screen. It is always there for you. And there's a lot of data that honestly, many people that are in us talk about DVOA is one of the most popular stats out there for good reason. It's a projection of the different uh, machinations of teams and how they're performing relatively relative to the average and how an average team would perform in every single play. And the data levels really go deeper than ever, Pete. And I feel like this is something, too, where I think part of the appeal of the show initially was like, oh, Pete doesn't care that much about data. Now you are a big data boy, so you are fully aligned with the DVOA world and everything else.
1: Wait, wait since when did I not care about data? How well, so are the, you whole,
0: the, the bit of numbers don't lie is like, oh, Pete doesn't care about data. He's That's just having not fun. The
1: bit, the <laughs> bit is it's just a fun little way to try to trick me. I can't believe you're pigeonholing me as an anti-data guy. Get out of here. Just because I wasn't running my own, you know, Monte Carlo Sims last year. Jeez.
0: Well, either way, Pete will now be a big data guy after previously only watching game footage for 30 seconds and deciding on all of the stakes <laughs> based off of that. But um, go check them out football outsiders.com slash subscribe. We'll talk more about that. Another thing which we're gonna be talking about more here, edge sports.com, EDJ sports, not the other way it's spelled. Uh, go there, the matchups page. I have a test case where I had one of my friends as a guinea pig, uh, do the four most uh, the bets are really the biggest discrepancies that they have running a hundred thousand simulations per game. Um, that's what they do for their lines. And then, you know, you can weight them against the consensus out there from the books. It's another way to make some money out there. I know people out there are always looking for easy bets and you know, it's not going to happen every week. My friend went four for four on the ones that we talked about that were the biggest uh, change between an edge sports line and the books line. So we'll talk more about that as we go. We're not just going to be shilling every minute of the show. I promise, but just trying to get the plugs out there because I think there's a real value to just having another perspective out there, especially one that comes with the power of, hundred thousand simulations, Pete. That is, that is a lot of simulations. I know previously our pal brick, uh, Brian Hooper has shamed me for the size of my Sims. And now I've got more Sims per capita than anybody out there on my side.
1: I know we are now, um, we've turned into simps for Sims, I think is what's happened between, you know, first with Brian on Lowell's, Then I'm, uh, you know, partnered with run the Sims. You got the Sims going on over at football outsiders. I mean, just simps for Sims everywhere.
0: I, that is good brand. I, I love the way your brain thinks already. We have the marketing copy and then the shows we'll be doing today. We're going to do the recap of week one. Numbers Don't Lie, Waiver Wire, Snake Draft, Monday Night Football Preview. Thursday, we're going to do the midweek news, the DFS build. the Q, I think a Q&A is what I have built in, Pete. But the lineup build, I think, seems like the most fun here because that's something we haven't done before in the show. But we had a lot of fun doing that in the ship chasing crossover shows where we did a little happy hours.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. That was just a flashback. That seems so long ago. Yeah, we, uh, we'll we have to run those back again this year, especially mm-hmm. on the holiday weeks. I think those are very fun times to uh, get the band together for uh, a very drunken lineup, Bill.
0: <laughs> and then Friday will be our guests and ride or die pick. So obviously, you know, if we can take a guest at a different time, we'll do that. So stuff to watch out for here. Monday, Thursday, Friday, 2.30 Eastern. Tune in. Come hang out with us. And of course, we are watching the chat as always and appreciate you guys being here. And make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod as well, because we are, in fact, following everybody back on there. And that is your best way to see whenever we have content or if you just want to see the ride or die picks, which actually, Pete, I have to presume went very poorly because I didn't check them yet. I haven't had time this morning and I don't recall a single thing that I got right last week on our fix.
1: <laughs> I did a glance. Um, You know, I was at the point in the DFS, you know, slate where everything's gone wrong and you go through the progression, you know, first you, you check your season long teams, uh, then you check your best ball teams. Then you start checking your ride or die picks. Then you start checking, uh, you know, a text about a prediction that you sent a friend three months ago, just trying to get anything right. Uh, I think I whipped really hard. My closest uh, one, and I don't even think I hit it, was – uh Cordero Patterson or uh Gallman who didn't even suit up outscoring Mike Davis and I think Mike Davis just barely got he Cordero did. Patterson
0: he did it was it was honestly very upsetting to the point that I replied to some, I think our, our boy yes man tweeted me and was like oh like well this Mike Davis thing is not great and I was like yeah I just hope he beats Cordero Patterson for <laughs> the highest <laughs> scoring running back here but I I'm, we might have had one when you had the Bengals money line that looks pretty good I think um, Algalore might've been the highest scoring, uh, pass catcher in that New England game. I think, I think he passed Jalen Waddle if I'm remembering correctly. So that might be it, but we'll grade it out. We'll figure out what we're doing for that. Cause we just haven't, haven't had a chance. Oh, I hit a 10 pointer. What okay. was the 10
1: pointer Willis? Cause do I need to get an accountant for the accountant? That doesn't seem right. <laughs>
0: I, I presume there must have been so many that I hit. I could tell you one I didn't hit was Brandon Aik. I guess we could talk about it through the prism oh. of our week one recap here. Well, we'll talk about some of the biggest performances that matter. And we're going to continue our bit from last year because it just keeps on happening, Pete. And we every single week last year, one of our listeners won the Millionaire Maker. And this week, you know, it's a new year. You'd think week one, people starting cold. But no, Pete, another Millionaire Maker winner in our grasp who is as dedicated a splash play, play listener as I know.
1: It's absolutely incredible uh, that they're able to do this. For those of you guys who don't know, uh, last year we would always review the winning Millie Maker lineup in week after week. It would just happen to be a loyal splash play listener. I mean, the odds, Spags, are near infinite that this Mm -hmm. would even be able to happen. I mean, it's hard enough to win the Millie Maker, much less to also love this show and win the Millie Maker. So uh, I don't know how we do it, Spags, but we're just blessed. And, you know, the only thing I would ask Spags is, you know, a lot of these guys... When they win the Millie, they post uh, you know, a screenshot of their lineup and they shout out their favorite tout sites. It just feels like our people are always embarrassed to be splash play listeners. They don't shout us out when they win, and that's what's confusing and hard for me.
0: Well, they're afraid to give away the bits of edge that we give away each individual show. Where we're giving you guys such great insights. We're talking about it, so they must want to keep it to themselves, but don't be afraid to share when, in fact, you are one of our Millionaire Maker winners, as was the case this week for BL Brown 1994. If that's his birth year, he is a, a youngin out there winning his million dollars, so kudos to him, again, as one of our listeners. Joe Burrow at QB. Uh, here's where you know he's a play listener. Melvin Gordon, the, the Millionaire Maker winning running back. Joe Mixon, another one that we talked a little bit about Tyreek Hill, T. Higgins, Debo Samuel, Travis Kelsey, I think was the tight end play that we all certainly know, no hero awards here for that, but we all love Travis Kelsey. He is the guy, Marvin Jones, the Cardinals, Pete, you see this millionaire maker winning lineup, nothing really that surprising, perhaps, I guess, besides having two chiefs, not stacked and, and Melvin Gordon, that we all knew the man who was going to be a top 12 running back on the year.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a good lineup. We always say when we look at some of these lineups that you're just like never in a million years could I find myself on that construction. But th- this one actually makes sense. You know, doing Mexican, Mixon, Mexican, uh, Mixon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting guys canceled on uh, our first show with football. Outside. A proud
0: Mexican that Joe Mixon is. <laughs>
1: Jesus, um, you know, you you have the kind of unorthodox double stack with the running back. And the pass catcher, no, uh, bring back there. Uh, he probably could have had, I'm guessing Thielen would have probably helped him out there as well. Uh, but getting Debo, I, I assume Debo outscored Thielen by like four or five points. Right. So that's probably, yep. and that's the hard thing. Like I might stumble on that lineup. I have Thielen as the bring back and not Debo. And that's how you win the mealie maker. You just have that slightly uncorrelated piece that goes off for a few more points, uh, there, but very nice lineup. Surprised they were uh, willing to eat a one-off, Marvin Jones there but yeah jamming both the Chiefs I mean uh, I was talking to Leone the other day and he was like just how good would your Linus be if you just blindly played Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey every week (laughs) I mean it just it, it works out so many times
0: yeah, I did the awesome on the contrary show on Saturday. Just, you know, just I'd say goodbye because I'll be doing some more shows with them too here and there, obviously, with my full time job, being at Edge sports. And they had mentioned that uh, the chief stack like broke their top stacks tool because the percentage of them being the highest probability stack, you know, or highest scoring stack rather like is so high that they it was just everything else looked muted and in sort of comparison. And then also, you know, obviously, lineup construction is kind of weird because it's not accounting for the value. And yet those guys still get they're still the most important plays. So something to keep in mind, especially in a week like this week where where that was the only game over a 50 Vegas total besides the uh, Arizona Tennessee game, which we saw ended up being a bit of a dud from fancy perspective. So, uh, you know, still a lot of logic and just taking those high total games no matter what the price point is. But let's talk about some of the news from week one and guys hit that like button. If you can Got a lot of people in Pete's chat right now, so hit the like button, whether you're watching it on there or on the splash play channel, always like some YouTube creators content that you enjoy because it just helps us out a bunch. Matt Stafford and the Rams, Pete, we talked about this a little bit. I told you um, that I believe they are Super Bowl contenders. I don't think you push back too much and I, thought last night they looked like it as much as you could have expected here. Throwing downfield Stafford, not perfect, but I think there's a lot of signs things could be better. And I would have liked to see more from Deshaun Jackson, but Van Jefferson doing his best young Deshaun Jackson, too. So Cooper Cup looking spry. This team, to me, seems like they have the potential to be world beaters.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to be really good. They're they're very balanced. They have all the elements that you'd want to make a, a Super Bowl run. From a fantasy perspective, I was encouraged to see Darrell Henderson's role I think uh, he has a very kind of secure role. You know, there was some talk that he might be in a more 50-50 split with Sony Michel, which obviously would have been a bad run out for him, you know, going to from being the lead back to in a 50-50 on a guy they just traded for a few weeks before the season starts. So I thought that was good. I mean, Cup, Woods, Higby, all going to have monster seasons. If you were a fantasy analyst that didn't tweet out that Darrell Henderson and Tyler Higby played all of the snaps last night, you are no longer a fantasy analyst. That was the test you had to pass. And uh, a few of you uh, didn't pass it, apparently.
0: Yeah, I didn't pass it, I guess. I was just too enamored with seeing Matt Stafford. Actually, really Sean McVay, the joy in his heart watching Matt Stafford actually Matt Stafford actually throw the ball downfield uh, with no fear as opposed to what he's been seeing the last few years. So that was a big win. And the one thing I will say, which might be a hot take, and this goes in two ways. Andy Dalton, I thought, like, he shouldn't be starting. I think Justin Fields looked better. We talked about that pretty much all offseason. Justin Fields to me looked like the most fantasy ready QB. Everybody knows he should be starting. There's not doing that. But Andy Dalton, I felt like he looked pretty good. And also his hair was fantastic like the flow was really kicking for for you know a guy who's gotten beaten up beaten up as the gingers out there unfortunately do uh, with the you know the stereotypes against them looking handsome and looking like a fairly competent QB just not one that should be playing over Justin Fields
1: this is the point in the show where I admit I didn't watch the game so I'll take your word for it that Andy Dalton like he had like great hair Eric Eager uh,
0: from PFI should I I think PFS the one the one forbidden thing but he's one of our friends Uh, (laughs) So I could say it, I guess I'll get, I'll get a slap on the wrist.
1: Mexicans and competitors is the name of this episode.
0: (laughs) We we tried to talk honestly and I have to talk honestly about Andy Dalton's hair that it looked fantastic. Like, you know, the the old school lacrosse player vibes where, you know, they would talk about the lettuce or the flow, like great hair on Andy Dalton. And again, that was, that was the key thing for Andy Dalton.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, it's funny because we saw both the bears and the 49ers get their uh, rookie quarterbacks on the field. And to me, it's so funny because these coaches are trying to spin it as the like, you know, this is how we can deploy them in these like package situations, but they know deep down that these are the most talented quarterbacks on their roster. And that there's just still some of this like old school football guy mentality in them that they just couldn't let themselves start the young, exciting QB, but it's, they have the new toy in the garage. So they had to take it for a spin around the parking lot, even though they know they should just be driving that Ferrari around town. All day, I don't know if this analogy holds up.
0: I think it's good, and I agree. <laughs> like you know, the they were saying during the game too, like the RPO, the run pass option that was going on with Fields in there. You know, David Montgomery does operate pretty well in that. Not going to be something you're going to get the same results with an Andy Dalton. And I think they saw they got a taste of what it would look like. But I agree, it, it just harkens back to that old Breaking Bad scene with Mike, where it's like it's a half measure is what it is. Just putting in Trey Lance for a few series and he looks great. Putting in Justin Fields for a few series and he looks great. Like it's just going to increase the groundswell of people that want these guys to play, and they should be playing. Uh, speaking of a guy that I wanted to play, a lot of people out there wanted to play and boy, did he play? He's on the thumbnail on the Splashlight channel. Jameis Winston, 14 for 20, 148 yards and five TDs as the saints crushed the Packers 38 to three. And this is one that we thought might happen, Pete, but are you buying Jameis being this good? Or is it something with, and a lot of people made fun of Aaron Rodgers' appearance at the press conference afterwards, looking like an absentee father. was <laughs> one of the jokes that I enjoyed, but are they this hapless or is this just Jameis being maybe lucky for one week, but also potentially being the best version of himself.
1: Yeah, I think it, Bodes really well for Jameis. I mean, they were down a, a lot of weapons. Obviously, no Michael Thomas, no Traquan Smith in that game. You know, they have uh, young, kind of unproven guys. Uh, even Marcus Callaway, who was supposed to be their stud-wide receiver who emerged, he was pretty quiet. It was Deontay Harris and Jawan Johnson and uh, even Adam Troutman kind of carrying it, of course, with Alvin Kamara. So the fact that they've had so many injuries, so much turnover in their personnel groupings, and Jameis was still... This dialed in, I think, is incredibly encouraging. Uh, But like those other coaches we just mentioned, uh, they still couldn't help themselves getting Taysom Hill on the field for a few snaps.
0: Yeah. And that's going to be the case. I guess I, I get it. I certainly get that. He's a little more mobile than Jameis is who uh, the, the comparisons of Jameis when he was running on plays were not the most flattering out there on Twitter, but still I was impressed by Jameis. I'm happy to see him be a good version of himself. And I also think the Packers, they're not going to be this bad all season. Like I think people might be afraid there are some, maybe some signs of a season from hell. So I certainly wouldn't buy in Yeah, but just based off the off season, Devontae Adams, not resigning an extension yet. I think there's a lot of things that could be bad. So something to keep an eye on, but you really can't make that judgment uh, uh, this early in the year, this one made me sad. Pete Ryan Fitzpatrick injures his hip; he's already on IR now. Taylor Heineke is going to be the starting QB, and you kind of saw that offense, Pete, really look bad as the Chargers uh, ended up winning 2016, so not the biggest win. But but Heineke, like he's got a lot of moxie, a lot of fight. We saw that in the playoffs last year. But this offense speed takes a gigantic jump downwards, and I know Football Outsiders DVOA had a massive discrepancy with you know a projected Ryan Fitzpatrick versus whatever XFL level Taylor Heineke is going to be doing out there.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe I'm not quite. I mean, it's obviously a downgrade. Uh, It's weird that I'm the one, you know, standing the backup QB. That's normally your role on the show. It's one of my bits. But, But you referenced the playoff game last year, and the one thing I like about him, the thing we don't like about these backup quarterbacks, are the ones who come in and they're nervous. They're not pushing the ball downfield there you know standing in the pocket we saw some pluck you know from Heineke when he came in and was willing to be aggressive you know he had that a uh, touchdown pass to Logan Thomas in the game which was a nice kind of like contested catch situation where he just threw it up and let Logan Thomas make a play so uh it's not as fun without FitzPatrick but I don't think this is the death knell for Washington I think they can be passable and I think Heineke could be one of those guys who with, you know, more weeks of starters reps and getting comfortable could grow into, I don't know, competent quarterback play.
0: And I think to Washington, you know, the way they had success last year was, it certainly wasn't Alex Smith doing what he did as sort of a game manager. It was that defense really oppressing guys. So I think in that perspective, like it doesn't necessarily change how I feel about Washington being a team that could win the NFC East. Like the defense is what is going to matter the most there, but it's, it's just such a drop off to me from what I hope from Fitzpatrick, who plays sort of the uh, platonic ideal of what I would like to see for a QB, just throwing it downfield with some degree of recklessness, but you know, within reason, knowing what he can do running for touchdowns, all that a going to run a little bit. I, I think too, I'd say you have to downgrade all the weapons though. Would you agree with that part, at least for fantasy?
1: Yeah, I think you do. Uh, You know, I thought Antonio Gibson's role was really nice and they have to be probably relying on the run game just a teeny bit more. Uh, So I think that bodes well. I think McLaurin I think he and Logan Thomas will still earn uh, targets at a steady clip. I think it's really kind of those ancillary guys that Fitzpatrick could have propped up. Like we were going to see the spike weeks from Diami Brown. We were going to see the eight for 90 yard games from Adam Humphreys uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And now that overall, like the pie being super big with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think that range of outcomes is now, you know, greatly uh, diminished.
0: The other big thing that jumped out when combing through some of the data here from this game, Mike Williams, 12 targets to Keenan Allen's 13. And this does come with the post Anthony Lynn life, Joe Lombardi. Now uh, the offensive coordinator, new head coach as well, and Staley uh, for the Chargers. So Do you think this is possible, Pete, that this is just how it's going to be? Because I think this is the thing that uh, as a casual observer of the Chargers for the last few years, it felt like, you know, Keenan Allen's great, but Mike Williams deserves more of a look as a a downfield threat and a guy who probably could do more with this big body and pretty good speed and all that good route running as well. I think this should be the case. Like these guys should probably be even in targets. Maybe they're not going to both be over 10, but they should be treated like equals in an offense. And I think that was a really encouraging sign.
1: Yeah, this was one of the off season news kind of hype pieces that I kind of ignored. And it was, you know, the team saying that he was going to be the X, uh, Michael T- or, uh, Mike Williams in this, you know, same offense that the saints were running. And it was kind of like, uh, is, is he, you know, this offense is still going to funnel through Keenan Allen is kind of what I thought. So it was pretty encouraging to see that. And, I think it speaks to as well, they never really settled on a third wide receiver that they loved. You know, it seems like Josh Palmer, the rookie is is going to be the guy, but not all of these rookies are, are these first round guys that can come in immediately and crush. So I think they could just have a really narrow target tree. I mean, Jared Cook didn't look bad too, but if Austin Eckler uh, also isn't catching a ton of passes, that's the other thing I'm trying to figure out, signal versus noise here. I mean, there was only one, target to the running backs in that entire game. And that was Justin Jackson. So it makes sense in that context that the wide receivers would be getting the majority of the, of the passing targets. But I think things will balance out a little bit. I think it will kind of return toward Keenan being the target hog, Eckler getting a decent amount, and then Mike Williams settling back down. But it was encouraging. I mean, I think it could trend in the right direction for mike williams
0: yeah i think that's a fair take to have like i don't expect it to be level but i think if you can get to keenan allen being around nine targets a game and then mike williams at seven and a half like that's a pretty big improvement on where he's been and um you know and certainly some games too keenan allen we know can get hurt so if mike williams is sort of st- a little more equipped to step in as a wide receiver one um just by running similar route trees and all that i think there's a chance that could be a logical move too so something to watch out for but probably one to not completely overreact to yet um also in the nfc east uh people really mocked i just need to point this one out people mocked nick sirianni coming in his early stumbling press conferences as the new eagles head coach and he trounced a much more ballyhooed first time head coach and arthur smith who came in uh pete schrager uh, doing a lot of the hype for him on some of the podcasts i was listening to this week and i have to say pete like Philly looked good and Philly looked like they could be lively in games that are maybe a little more defensively minded. I don't know if it was just the Falcons not fully figuring out this offense or what, but they oppressed the hell out of them and really made their lives miserable. Sacked Matt Ryan an uncomfortable amount of times and just kept bringing the heat on him. Philly, to me, I think if you're taking an NFC East bet right now, especially knowing that Fitzpatrick is hurt, I don't hate the Eagles as the bets win at all. or Not to win at all, but to win the East.
1: Yeah, I mean for me it's still the Cowboys, but I don't want to take away from what you just said. And that's I think the Eagles are gonna be super, super fun for fantasy. Jalen Hurts uh led the quarterbacks yesterday in rushing yards. We saw the rookie Devonta Smith look awesome in his debut. Uh, I mean, you really know that these rookies are legit when they can come out and produce week one. We saw it with Waddle. We saw it with chase, even uh, my guy, Rondell Moore getting in the mix there. So uh, talented there. Also Jalen Rager, who many Mm -hmm. left for dead after last season, a little flop lag on him. He looked good there. The tight ends. I think Zach Ertz is a little banged up right now. Um, uh, So Dallas Goddard could get some more run. I think this is going to be an awesome offense. And then I'm also talk about like deep, Stashes here. Uh, the rookie Kenny Gainwell uh, basically just kind of dispatched uh, uh, Boston Scott, who like barely played. And so, if this is just a two-man backfield with Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell, both of those guys are going to be fantasy relevant. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm stoked on this offense. They looked really good.
0: Yeah, Jalen Hurts looked good, too, and Devonta Smith, the guy, as, as Pete mentioned, you know, coming in, looked like, to me, the best graded-out uh, wide receiver, as we talked about last week's shows. Um, like I think that he's a guy that I don't think that's going to be a one-and-done kind of situation. He looked really good. and seemed like he could have done more, so uh, something to keep an eye on, and we talked about this briefly, Pete, but Mike Davis outscored Cordero Patterson on 18, 18 touches, but not by much. I felt so good that first drive Davis had five carries, one target, including that one target he had was right by the end zone, too, so maybe if he got lucky they're a little better targeted could have gotten it in but boy that first run here for this arthur smith offense not looking good at all by any stretch
1: yeah paypal in the chat talking about how awful the falcons offensive line is uh yeah this this was kind of part of the reason i was a little hesitant on the falcons just because i thought they had implosion potential like no one was mistaking them for world beaters coming into this season and i think we kind of see um, you know what? Uh, the question is 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 this going to be a normal type of outcome for them this year or was this just, you know, a rough start? I think their passing game will be fine. I mean, we know Matt Ryan's competent. We know Ridley and Kyle Pitts are going to be great. I thought Kyle Pitts was an easy fade yesterday in DFS with his ownership, mm-hmm. but his usage was great. He was playing a ton. They were using him in the slot outside. I think he's going to have better days ahead. But yeah, the running game, it could be tough for them. If they're in negative game scripts and the offensive line is bad, um, I think Mike Davis is going to have to get it done in the past game if he's going to get there this year.
0: Yeah. And he got some targets. Like he did get six targets amidst all that. So like, I'm not ruling out Mike Davis. I'm not, you know, completely jumping off the bandwagon here, but the offense gave me some concern. I think they're going to need to show some real improvement here from that game one, because uh, the Eagles really just seemed like they knew everything they were doing and really oppressed these guys. And, and your Kyle Pitts point too, I think it's a good one. A 30% owned rookie tight end. There was no reason that should have been the case. And I had half the field on him. And I, I was like, I need to have some uh, just because of the lineup construction and how it looked. But I think that, you know, be what be wise about that stuff, especially for NFL. Like. You can't really make these big, these big bets. Marquez Callaway certainly proved that too. Uh Elijah Mitchell uh, for the Niners here. We end up with no Raheem Mostert, a uh, Trey Sermon on the inactive list. And another rookie comes into, I guess, we had no reports on this throughout the season, unless there's something, Pete, that you saw. But um, Trey Sermon, I guess, got bumped down the depth chart. And that was the reason he was inactive. But a bit of a weird one here where Mitchell is another rookie and I guess outperformed him and honestly looked like a superstar yesterday with over 100 yards in a TD.
1: Yeah, I saw Josh Norris reply to a tweet about this, and he was saying that the 49ers had a bunch of closed practices to the media down the stretch, and it kind of hints at, I mean, two of the biggest surprises, obviously, the Trey Sermon scratch, which you just mentioned, and then also Brandon Ayuk, uh, who everyone assumed was good to go. He was practicing in full, and then the quotes came in after the game that Shanahan saying, you know, he's still dealing with this hamstring. He, you know, hadn't been one of the top receivers at practice to the point where Shanahan was almost making a point. He was running Trent Shurfield out there a ton, Mohamed Sanu in the first quarter. Ayuk ended up playing more snaps in the second half, still didn't score any points, but it's like, normally this is information that leaks out. You know, these the Trey Sermon's not ready. He's behind, you know, Elijah Mr. Mitchell and Hasty. So that was super, super bizarre. Um... And yeah, I ended up fading Moster in DFS, uh, which I think was right, uh, not because of the injury, but just because of where his ownership settled and like the forty percent range in single entry contests, but. Yeah. Uh, as far as season long stuff, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this much more as far as waiver wire stuff goes, mm. but man, Elijah Mitchell looks like the, probably the number one ad this week for fantasy.
0: And I think the risk for me is that maybe Trey sermon was inactive. And then, you know, like they were just expecting not to have Elijah Mitchell really meaningfully in the mix until most did go out with his knee injury again, which that reoccurring is not a great thing as well as some of them just talking about it potentially being an ACL issue. Like I think they said they didn't think it was, but the fact they're even thinking it could be, is not fantastic. Um, Um, Elijah Mitchell, like, I think he's a guy that I agree he should be high up on the waiver wires, but also if you had Trey Sermon back in next week and, you know, just going following the draft capital there, like it wouldn't be shocking to me if Trey Sermon came back in next week and was the running back one, just because it's clearly where they've invested, or at least like, you know, in a timeshare with hasty.
1: Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. I, I still do think like sermon is going to get his chances at some point i mean teams don't just invest this kind of running back capital in the running back position and then you know not give them a chance because they want to save face but i think it's also another you know sterling example of running backs don't matter you see with how good this offensive line is that any of these guys can come in here and rip off big you know, mm-hmm. plays, which begs the question, why are you drafting Trey Sermon in, in the first place? If Elijah Mitchell or Jermichael Hasty can look this good. And they've done that year after year. Jeff Wilson looked good. Wayne Gallman looked good. And yet this team uh, continues to spend early capital on running backs. It, it doesn't make sense to me.
0: And PayPal pointing out in the YouTube chat, uh, Davis roasted Trey Sermon. That is true. Mike Davis did, in fact, uh, greatly outscore Trey Sermon. And that's the one victory you can have amidst no other victories at all for Mike Davis, So Maybe one coming up, but numbers don't lie. We'll see how that segment goes. Uh, the Lions somehow cover the spread as well, which, again, just pointing to the edge sports lines. Go to EDJsports.com. Sign up for a free account there. You can see all the matchups page. Uh, that was one where they were wildly different. And I mentioned this on the Osmo on the Contrary Show on Saturday, but. The books had it at plus nine. They had it at plus two. Didn't quite get to plus two. But Pete, I have to say, you know, we we saw really interesting performances from the Lions here. Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift, both over 24 fantasy points. They had nine rushes for 54 yards and a TD and eight catches for 56 yards. Also, I have to figure out how to turn off computer noises, by the way, is one one thing I'm learning uh, because I usually don't have slack going. And for some reason, even when you close slack on the computer, it just keeps keeps buzzing away. Uh, But Jamal Williams, a lot of work here. Eight catches, 56 yards and nine targets for him. 11 carries 39 yards with eight catches for 80 uh, excuse me 65 yards and a td on 11 targets for deandre swift like pete this two-headed backfield nobody thought it was gonna be this much of a two-headed backfield but it was not only a two-headed backfield the one that was super productive for both guys and clearly jared Goff and a check down artist i think is gonna benefit them at least as much as they could stay competitive in games
1: yeah, I don't even um yeah, obviously it was like you said, it was a split backfield, but this is extremely bullish for DeAndre Swift. I mean, eleven targets is absolutely massive. If he's getting like that kind of split, if he if he's on like a, a 10 carry, 10 target trajectory, that's almost like the Alvin Kamara type workload. Obviously, not as prolific of an offense. You don't have, you know, prime Drew Brees there helping things out. You have Jared Goff, but man, we those catches are so valuable, not only from a PP. PR standpoint, but just the efficiency angle of what he can do with those plays in space uh, as opposed to getting run up the center of the lane or of the line there. So I'm very, very excited about DeAndre Swift. I think he's going to massively pay off his, you know, fourth round, you know, draft price tag there if he keeps this up.
0: And we talked about, you know, some of the game script stuff when you're just trying to project guys out for both baseball drafts for DFS, obviously week to week, you're going to have a better clear view on that. But Jared Goff throwing 57 times in this one um, is an important one to note. That is a lot of throws for Jared Goff. Probably not the QB out of everybody out there you want to see throwing almost 60 times, but that kind of volume going to be hard to ignore moving forward. And uh, TJ Hawkinson, the best beneficiary for sure with eight catches, 97 yards and a TD on 10 targets. Uh, <clears throat> pretty tough start for rookies, Pete, which I think we can hit on fast here. Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore, Amon Ross, Saint Brown—all pretty useless. Kyle Pitts, I would say bad chalk. Though I think I would lump him in with the, the higher pedigree guys who perform better. But uh, Pete, you have been beating down the doors of some of these lower-tier receivers. I guess if we want to call them that, that might be unfair to them. But uh, what do you have to say here about the more the, the more non-brothers, the Amon Ross, Saint Browns? A lot of these guys coming in with some degree of pedigree or hype, and then just kind of ended up doing nothing. And here, at least in Week One.
1: I completely reject this entire premise you're going for. First of all, it was a great day on the whole for the rookies, Jamar Chase. For the elite rookies. I, I mean, Rondell Moore is an elite rookie. Elijah Moore is an elite rookie. All of these guys, uh, the thing about Rondell Moore, okay, first of all, he was four for 68. He literally had a touchdown pass where the guy held his arm and they had to call holding there in the end zone there. So that would have been a touchdown. If he's sitting here at five for 75 and a touchdown, you're lumping him in with the elite rookie. So we let's be careful here with the Rondell Moore. They got him in space. He had a big yards after catch run. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think he's going to be fine. And uh, Elijah Moore was banged up. For much of the offseason, everyone in DFS got excited because Jamison Crowder was out. They thought we could project more targets, but I don't think he's fully healthy. Better days ahead for him. And we already mentioned Kyle Pitts. Lots of good usage there as well in an implosion game for the Falcons. So, I reject your premise. All these rookies are going to be fine.
0: The good rookies, though, the ones, <laughs> the ones that Pete wasn't hyping up in best ball drafts, I will call out here. Uh, Jamar Chase, I thought looked pretty good. Five catches, 100, 101 yards and a TD. Uh, T. Higgins being banged up in that one maybe makes Jamar Chase look a little bit more like a wide receiver one as well as the game scripts there, but I was impressed. Kyle Pitts, we sort of talked about already. He'll have better days. Devonta Smith, the guy that we also talked about, six for 71 and a touchdown on eight targets. I think long a better game script for him where that offense was actually pushed a little bit more by the Falcons that could have been an even bigger game and Jalen Waddle at least beat his props four for 61 and a TD on six targets so out of all of them guys uh Pete like out of all these rookie guys that I guess um, uh, you know include the ones too that I'm perhaps poo-pooing and you're not which one are you the most bullish on just based off this one week sample size
1: so man it's so hard I think uh... I really like the I think 3 of them are going to be consistent producers. I think Chase looks awesome and I think the Bengals are still going to be an offense that throws a lot even though Mixon rushed the ball 29 times this week. Um I think uh Waddle is going to be great although there's some you know uh uncertainty with Will Fuller coming back and knowing what his target share will look like. And I think Rondell Moore is going to have kind of a very steady role in this offense and him and Kirk will probably alternate the kind of spike week touchdowns, but I'll answer your question. I mean, Jamar chase is the one you have to be Mm. excited about the most. I think he is the one that can garner a truly elite, target share, uh, as with the season progresses. And we know he just has the talent. It, it was funny too, cause I have a flashback to when AJ green was a rookie for the Bengals, Uh, and he got loose for a long touchdown in week one of his rookie year. And then seeing Jamar chase do that again. And these truly elite guys, um, produce right away. And I think that's what we're seeing for chase.
0: Yeah, I think it's still going to be some weeks where you do see, you know, a Tyler Boyd be more useful or you do see T Higgins be fully healthy. And then, you know, there's a little more coverage shade of Chase's way and you see Higgins kind of have those outlier weeks, too. But I agree. I think Chase is probably the one I'm most intrigued by, though. It's just not having competition for targets. And I think being on a team that probably won't be defensively as amazing as they looked yesterday. I think Devonta Smith is probably the one I would just want the most because I think people just still down on the size thing, which is weird. And people still down on just I don't know, maybe they don't see this being that big of a box score game, but he was really wide open on that touchdown. He probably could have had more if the game was competitive. So all stuff I'd keep in mind. Uh, let's speed run through the rest of these notes here so we can get to the rest of the segments and guys hit that like button. If you can, we're bringing all the information that are in our delicate brains here for you guys. So help us out. Hit that like button. Carlos Hyde, nine carries, 44 yards, two catches for 14 yards on targets. Um, actually, I actually didn't put the target number in here, but two catches for 14 yards. He outtouched James Robinson, five rushes for him, 25 yards, three catches on six targets in a runaway win for the Texans. And this is one Pete that to me, I think last year, James Robinson was so game script proof because they were just tanking, just running out the clock quite literally on their year. I think this is really bad for James Robinson and I believe in him still, but Carlos Hyde having the urban Meyer, you know, stamp of approval from having, you know, gone to OSU and all that I think is not great, but I think just looking at the numbers, like maybe there's something I didn't see because I did not watch all of that game, but uh, James Robinson to me, I love this guy last year and I feel like he just might be screwed because the team is trying to win. And also like, there's clearly a veteran back that urban seems to like more just off this one week sample.
1: Yeah, this is very, very bad for James Robinson. You basically have kind of three strikes against him now. We know this team is going to be awful. They're going to be in a ton of negative game scripts. They had to air it out the whole second half. So I think we're going to see a ton of that. Then on top of that, um, he is splitting work with Carlos Hyde. Like you mentioned, they each had uh, 11 touches. uh, And Hyde actually led the team in carries with nine. So this is very bad for him. I guess the one kind of, you know, thing he could maybe hang his hat on is he did have three catches for 21, 29 yards. So if he is getting involved a little bit more in the passing game, like as stubborn as urban Meyer is, if at least he views Carlos Hyde as the short yardage and, you know, goal line back, but allows Robinson to be the pass catching back that could help. But it seems like it's just going to be a pure split. He was using them interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you're in a, 50-50 split on an offense that's going to be down and throwing a ton. I just don't think that's, that's a good combo.
0: And in that same game, I'm going to harken back to a few weeks ago, we did a best ball draft of the stream where Pete made us draft Philip Lindsay over Mark Ingram after I pointedly asked, pulling up the depth chart, isn't Mark Ingram starting for them? Mark Ingram, Pete, response, 26 carries, 85 yards and a TD in a Texans upset that was called by the Edge Sports line. So another reason to go check them out, edjsports.com over there. Uh, but Pete, I, I think, obviously, I'm victory lapping this too early. We know Mark Ingram's not going to be a 25-plus carry. We assume not a 25-plus carry guy all year long, but for week one, he really did show like, at least if he gets the volume, he's going to get results and he got the volume and he got the results.
1: Yes. Bags. If, uh, if the Texans continue to blow out, uh, the opposition (laughs) this year, I will wave the white flag on Mark Ingram who will, you know, just be the second half, you know, uh, grinder, uh, to win these Texans victories. So, uh, yes, 26 carries though is impressive in Mm -hmm. that you would have thought with kind of their stable of running backs that it would have been a little more even, Uh, but they clearly trust Mark Ingram. They like him in that role. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything else to say other than I still prefer Philip Lindsay.
0: I, the Texans, I think too, like an interesting team here. I'll, I'll see how the edge lines look for them moving forward, but I think there's something interesting here. Just, I know the reason that they were a little bit over, I would say overvalued relative to the market, but valued, I guess appropriately relative to the market was that the defense apparently made a lot of additions that are just league average and they were not league average in a lot of spots last year. So something to keep in mind here that maybe this team will be a little friskier than people realize, but but probably not like a contender for anything real barring something miraculous happening over the next few weeks and months. Uh, Christian McCaffrey returns 21 rushes for 98 yards, nine catches for 89 yards on nine targets. Pete, that's the biggest workload of the week, or at least right up there with everybody else. And I think the one thing you could say is like this Panthers offense we could talk about the Darnold part, but McCaffrey is getting that workload. If you invested in him, and people I think talk themselves out of it for whatever reason, either the Chubba Hubbard part or just him coming off injury. And he is that dude once again that you probably need to be playing him in cash for sure, and, and probably playing him more often than not in a lot of situations.
1: Yeah. Uh, he looked awesome, and it was like a quiet performance. You know, you're watching red zone and you actually, I didn't see a ton of Christian McCaffrey, but he's just slowly mm-hmm. racking up yards. Uh, I think he almost had a hundred yards, uh, in the passing game and a hundred yards yeah. rushing 98 in is-
0: rushing and 89 passing.
1: Just just absurd usage. I mean, I thought there was just a little bit of uncertainty. Like he was still the 101 just by a long shot. And yet there was still like coming off injury, new quarterback. You never know. Like, what if even if you throttle Christian McCaffrey's workload down a little bit, like that meaningfully changes his kind of ceiling outcomes? And that is just was all uh worry for not because he's just absolutely back. He's gonna be the best running back play. Every week he's healthy and uh yeah, find a way to jam him in your lineups.
0: And then uh, in this game too, Corey Davis, a beast, five catches, 97 yards and two TDs on seven targets. I guess, quick answer, Pete, do you think that holds up here? And a a Jets team that was also missing Jameson Crowder and clearly a little banged up and maybe still getting used to some of their younger guys.
1: Um, yeah, I think, I think with the Jets, I think it's just going to be a little bit until Elijah Moore is fully healthy and caught up to speed. But I, i My gut still tells me that him and Corey Davis are going to be kind of co 1A and 1B in that offense uh, once we uh, progress through the season. But you got to give it to Corey Davis. Like he produced in the preseason. uh, And, you know, the knock on him last year in Tennessee was he was kind of the garbage time producer. Teams were rolling over, you know, coverage to A.J. Brown. They were stacking the box against Derrick Henry, and he was always open. Well, yesterday he was, you know, more or less the focal point of the defenses and uh he still got loose and Zach Wilson seems to love throwing to him. So uh, I, I think he's, he's set up for a great year.
0: And then two teams here just to point out the kind of tough splits, the Panthers splits, um, eight targets for more three targets with a splash play TD for our guy splash play, Bob Robbie Anderson, six targets for Terrace Marshall. So I think that's going to be one that's, Probably gonna be similar all year long. Nobody setting out as an alpha and one Pete that I'm curious your thoughts on the Cardinals. I thought had the most interesting splits overall. Twelve carries and four catches on four targets for Chase Edmonds. Sixteen carries right away for James Connor. So that's a dead even split in terms of the the workload there. We'll see how the snap counts work out. Hopkins also eight targets had two touchdowns. Kirk five targets. Rondale Moore five targets. AJ Green six targets. Like, do you believe in any of these guys relative to volume? Because the volume it seems like is just not going to be there with all these guys getting a little bit of love.
1: No, I, I, I think I still, I mean, I understand what you're saying from like a season long start perspective. That could be a little frustrating, but I mean, these are the kind of GPP spots that we get really excited about where, you know, it's similar to the Steelers, where we know there's three wide receivers that can go off on any given week. The field gets overconfident on some of them because of pricing or because of recent performance. And then that really creates opportunities. Uh, so yeah, like I said, with, uh, I think there's going to be opportunities to play these guys at lower ownership. I think Rondell and uh, Kirk are going to kind of ping pong weeks and, and both be very relevant this year.
0: All right, so normally we have a little more meat on the bone for this segment. We're just going to burn through it fast because we're. I, mean, I just wanted to cram in everything we possibly could because week one has the most information. So we're trying to help you guys out with all the takes that we can possibly muster up here. But victory lap slash take the L. I will say I'm in a victory lap. Brandon Cooks looking like a monster, five for 132 on seven targets in a game, as Pete mentioned. That ended up being pretty much a blowout. I also said to pass on Josh Allen. My taking the L is I really thought Brandon Ake was going to be good, and he put up a flat zero while Debo Samuel looked like a world beater. So. Pete, any victory laps or L's that you want to carry for yourself right now?
1: I'll, I'll give you a W and myself and an L on uh, Melvin Gordon. I I was genuinely like, he looked so good ripping off that touchdown run. We were, we were doing tilt space live. And I was like, at first I wanted to just kind of bag on the cornerback who couldn't chase him down. They were like neck and neck and Melvin Gordon just pulled away. And uh, no, I, I got to give Melvin Gordon credit there. He looked good. And, you know, with Jerry Judy going down, I think it's safe to assume they're going to, you know, rely on the run game a little bit. I think Javante Williams, you know, he was still in the mix there, but uh, I'll take an L, an early season L on Melvin Gordon, although I haven't quite gotten worried about our top 10 bet yet.
0: Top 12, to be clear. Top 12. Oh, yeah,
1: you're going to need that. <laughs> so
0: it gives you a little more wiggle room here. But I agree. Melvin Gordon looked pretty good. And the Jerry Judy thing we didn't hit on. But, yeah, uh, one of the, I think, the more frustrating injuries for a guy, probably is going to be frustrated anyway dealing with Teddy Bridgewater. But we'll talk about that more. Let's get to numbers don't lie. The premise here, I'm going to give Pete three stats. Two are true. One is a lie. Pete has to guess which one of these three stats is fake. And, and Pete, I know sometimes your consternation this game got to you last year. So just give, give everybody your thoughts here. For everybody tuning in for the first time because we're being plugged on Football Outsiders, given that we're presented by Football Outsiders now, so subscribe over at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. What do you want to tell the people about this game before we do it for the first time this year?
1: Yeah, so the spirit of this game is to kind of illuminate you know, specific uh, situations that might be surprising in how the stats are playing relative to, say, maybe mainstream narratives. How Spags likes to play this game is to try to trick me, <laughs> to try to deceive me. And basically have no choice but to try to parse how he words the question, as if I was a hapless SAT, you know, student taker. So um, that's what it's supposed to be, and what it is in reality. Yeah,
0: so it's gonna be a little more of both <laughs> this time up here. First one, Pete, Mike Davis had a very mediocre 15 carries and six targets at his time on the field. We all know that by now. But his 21 intended touches would make him one of the highest volume RBs on the week. Behind us Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, Damian Harris, and DeAndre Swift, and tied with former Arthur Smith Muse, Derrick Henry. Pete first flush. Does that sound true or does that sound like a lie?
1: We say the first part again.
0: Uh Mike Davis had his 21 intended touches of making one of the highest volume running backs of the week behind yeah. McCaffrey, Mixon, Cook, Ingram, Kamara, Harris, Swift and tied with Derrick Henry.
1: Yeah, no, that that checks out.
0: Okay, so that we'll see. So that, that, that checks out for Pete right now. Marquez Valdez Scantling carried a lot of hype this preseason. He didn't show it in his performance yesterday, but he could be a sleeping giant the rest of the year if his week one outlays an indicator. Despite just three grabs for 17 yards, his 159 air yards are actually fourth in the league for week one. How does that sound to you, Pete? A
1: little fishy. The third is going to have to break my tie here.
0: Debo Samuel was a GPP winner in week one with his insane nine grabs for 189 yards and a TD on 12 targets. But this is a total aberration. Week one was the first time in Debo's entire career, college or pro, that he had over 10 targets in a single game.
1: Now, that one's interesting. I mean, his his target share was absurd yesterday, but Mm -hmm. he has had some very high target games. We read number two once more.
0: Uh number 2 once again is MVS uh had despite just 3 grabs for 17 yards is 159 air yards were actually fourth in the league for week 1.
1: Yeah. Um man. I think I don't know if did MVS really have that many air? I feel like you're tricking me on that because MVS is traditionally thought of a big air yards guy. I'm going to say that that's the lie.
0: MVS did, in fact, uh, actually 156 air yards was number four in the league behind Tyreek Hill, DJ Chark, and C.D. Lamb. So that one is, a, is in fact, correct. Debo Samuel has had more than 10 targets multiple times, including uh, last year, I think. Actually, you know yeah. is it I have it in front of me? Uh, he had it uh, week 10 of ni- 2019, week 11 of 2019. A couple weeks in a row there, he was over 10
1: targets. So the what was the lie from, from one?
0: So the lie was Debo. Debo's had over 10 oh. targets many times, yeah.
1: Oh, I thought you said hadn't had over. No,
0: no, he has. He has, yeah.
1: Okay, I, I would have chosen that one if I didn't misunderstand.
0: Maybe it. I misspoke, and maybe that was part of the game, Pete, was just to make sure <laughs> you're paying attention. But no, Devo has had the targets. MVS, though. Um, De- yeah, I mean, MVS is a, an air yards king, despite really one of the worst box scores of everybody <laughs> <in> football. <laughs> Three for 17, not moving the needle very much.
1: There we go. MVS is who we thought he was.
0: All right. So let's go to the next segment here. Waiver Wire Snake Draft. Every week we do the earliest Waiver Wire show out there. I don't know if that's still true, but I'm going to say it and select our favorite Waiver Wire pickups in the Snake Draft format for four rounds. And Pete, this week, I have to say, I'm not doing an ESPN league this year, so I can't Me see either. the percentage easily.
1: <laughs> I'm not either. I was actually, we, we didn't touch base about that. Um, well... <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. So last year, Spags and I were both in ESPN leagues, and we would use the percentage to kind of make sure that we weren't just you know making too obvious of plays. But uh, Spags and I both ditched the uh, the ESPN. Let's let's do this in good faith, Spags. Let's okay. try to work under the assumption of a guy that should be mostly available in a 12-team ESPN standard yes. league.
0: And, and if we're wrong about it, you know, feel free to fact check us. I know the chat will do that, but obviously you know, we're, we're trying our best to help you guys out. But unfortunately, this is one blind spot I wasn't personally prepared for. I thought they would still be able to access it without being in a league, but apparently apparently not so much. But Pete, I am a gentleman, and this is our first show with the Football Outsiders brand. So I'll give you the first pick here so you can really make a big impact on everybody out there.
1: And I'll also give a shout out, and we could. This will kind of help, and I can share this with you next time. Uh, Rotaviz has their early waiver wire article up by Sam Wallace, and he puts the ESPN percentage in parentheses on all the options here, so we can we can reference that a little bit. Uh, so my first, I mentioned it earlier. I think just with the uncertainty with Raheem Mostert's uh, health. And how much we know this 49ers offense is going to run. I think Elijah Mitchell is the priority ad this week. Uh, I think you make a case for some from other guys, but as far as the blend of immediate production, upside, even potential standalone value, even when Mostert does come back, just knowing Trey Sermon has fallen out of favor, I think Elijah Mitchell checks basically every box we want off uh, from a war- early waiver wire ad.
0: And I will say, so I don't know. If this is the right pick to take as the number one overall in our waiver wire snake draft concept where we are going to go, you know, I'll get two in a row here, but I'm going to take Jamichael Michael hasty just because what if Elijah Mitchell also gets hurt? What if they don't want to play Trey sermon? I think just putting him in the mix here. He's probably not, he's not definitely not worth the FAAB budget uh, that you'd give to an I- Elijah Mitchell. But I think just pairing these two together makes sense to me. And then for the turn, I guess, Honestly, based on the air yards, I would take MVS and just in the hopes that I think he'll have better weeks. Like I think, you know, that stat definitely jumps out. Number four in air yards, we did have all the preseason hype and really a lot of it was on Aaron Rodgers for not being great this week, I think more than anything. So I'll take MVS on the turn here. So my two picks to Michael hasty and Marquez Valdez scantling.
1: All right. West coast gem, uh, spoiled my second pick here. He is it correct it's Kenny Gainwell I'll offer the caveat that I much prefer Gainwell in half point or full point PPR leagues I think he's just a little less exciting in uh standard formats because he is he does have kind of that Naheem Hines role but I think the thing that's encouraging about him is just his skill set overlaps a lot with Miles Sanders and so I think you get that nice blend of standalone value he got on the field uh, a decent amount in week 1 and if Sanders were to go down I think he'd just Slide Right into that Sanders role. So that's always the kind of blend I'm looking for in my zero RB bench stashes and PPR stashes, a guy who I can plug in in a pinch, get me seven, eight points. And then if Miles Sanders were to get hurt, then Kenny Gainwell's probably, you know, a top 20 running back with a, a decent amount of ease, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fair pick. Gainwell's look good. And I think, like you mentioned earlier, passing Boston Scott, that seemed like that was implausible uh, earlier in the year based on how much they keep going back to Scott. But uh, he's done it. and It does seem like that's going to be the case. So yeah, one more pick Pete here. So who do you want?
1: Yeah, let's let's keep playing the hits with some of these rookies. One of the rookie wide receivers we didn't mention yet, uh, but that's Terrace Marshall. He's still available. And it looks like 80% of ESPN leagues. He actually out-targeted. Uh, our mascot, Splash Play Bob, uh, which is kind of interesting and flew under the radar there a bit. Um, so I think his week to week role is going to be just a little more volatile. We just talked about, you know, third receivers. He's technically the fourth option, even after Christian McCaffrey. But again, if he's already earning that kind of level of targets, and then if there were an injury to basically any of McCaffrey, Robbie, or DJ Moore. Terrace Marshall would be a pretty easy weekly start. So I kind of like that blend there. And we know these rookies just generally get better as the season goes. So I, I like Terrace Marshall.
0: All right. So for me, it's going to be now that I got two back to back, I'm going to go target the Jameis rising tide. And I think Jawan Johnson's intriguing because he is the big bodied guy. We saw him have the touchdowns yesterday. I know that always, he's always going to have a couple touchdowns in a game, but I, and I think too, like the volume wasn't great, but I do think he clearly has a functionality within this role, which is that Deontay Harris, Marquez Calloway until Trey and, and Michael Thomas are healthy. Like they need a big bodied guy. You can sort of get those end zone targets and those red zone targets. So I think that's what Jawan Johnson is. So I'm going to advocate taking him Pete. And I'm also going to take Deontay Harris because, you know, we know Callaway has been drafted enough. He had the preseason hype. Harris is the one who ended up having the big play yesterday. I think that Callaway and Harris basically every week will be one to one comparisons. And he should have been split ownership yesterday. That was what I ended up doing with my lineups. And I don't know if I gave that take publicly, but I did mention that, you know, going to Harris was probably the pivot move. Uh, That to me is just what it is every week. Take those guys, treat them evenly. But Jawan Johnson to me really had a role. So I think just take the both of them and hope that one of them can sort of bubble up and get a little more volume moving forward.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's a good call. Uh, all of my picks always lean toward running back just because my teams are generally more loaded at wide receiver and super sure. thin at running back. Um, I, I will just, uh, we can we can mention a few honorable mentions, but just based on the way I'm kind of building my teams, Larry Roundtree, I think would be my next guy. The whole offseason, we were kind of debating who's the running back to here. Uh, he had nine carries and Joshua Kelly was a healthy scratch. Uh, so to me, you know, Justin Jackson is still in the mix there. He's the one we mentioned, got the one target, but Roundtree I think is interesting to me as a, as a, as a stash. Um, if Eckler were to run into injury trouble again, I think it would be a split obviously with Jackson, but I think Roundtree would actually be on the good side of it. I think it could be like a 60, you know, percent uh share for Roundtree with Jackson working in on some passing downs. So, um, you know, in the opposite way that I mentioned Gainwell would be way better for PPR leagues, I think Roundtree is a better running back stash for uh standard leagues because of the kind of touchdown and goal line role expectation he would have.
0: And then since I am I I guess like I get your logic why you definitely would go a little more RB heavy to me. I always like the wide receivers that try to track, you know, try to pinpoint who's going to go, you know, rise a little bit higher than they probably are expected to Anthony Schwartz for Cleveland was one guy who jumped out just getting more of a workload than I would have ever thought like he wasn't somebody that was on my radar at all but with Odell Beckham out like it wasn't people's Jones took the jump it was Schwartz and I don't know what that means Pete because honestly I don't think I've heard anybody say the name Anthony Schwartz before that game was actually on and he was doing something but um, I thought Schwartz was kind of an interesting guy that I just want to sort of mention as I think we've we've both have given our four picks But, but Schwartz to me just like it was a weird line and I think probably not one of those lines that happens there very often, but if Odell stays out, like, I just know what to make of that. Cause it seemed like he was going to be a go. And then him being out with the ACL recovery situation is not great.
1: Yeah. Well, it was like one of the most, I mean, we talk about how tricky preseason is for trying to figure out what's real and what's fake. I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones had like one of the best preseasons that you've seen from both a performance standpoint, buzz standpoint, and uh, and he was basically non-existent in that game. So, you know, seeing Anthony Schwartz there I think is interesting. The offense also really funneled through the tight ends there too. I think Hooper and Njoku both got a decent amount of burn. Um, so in a run-heavy offense, I think he's going to be hard to predict as far as when to start. Um, is this my last pick?
0: Um, I think, uh, yeah, you you might have one more. I think I don't, I don't. I think we might have done four already, but just do one more anyway. (laughs)
1: Uh, okay, no, yeah, because I've done, yeah, because run. I I think I did four.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: I guess I'll, I'd take your choice of if either of the Cardinals, uh, wide receivers are on the waiver based here. Uh, Rondell Moore is still available in eighty percent of leagues. Christian Kirk available in ninety six percent of leagues. I guess that makes sense. Kirk was. I was drafting him in every underdog draft, uh, but in standard leagues, I can see why he would have been on the waiver. Uh, but I think you add either of those guys, in, in the same thing, you're going to get spike week production from them. Um, you know, probably not reliably, but that's why it's spike week production. But then on top of that, if there's an injury to one of them or DeAndre Hopkins, I think you're looking at a really, really defined role there. So, and we know this offense is just going to be awesome. So I, I would take a stab on a Cardinals wide receiver if you don't have one yet.
0: All right, now is the time. Last segment on the board. So guys, hit that like button if you can, whether you're watching it live or after the fact. And of course, make sure to check out the podcast feeds because we are putting out, uh, these are going to be immediately out on podcast form. I'm going to make sure to do that. So uh, go subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, whatever your chosen platform is, Overcast, Stitcher, I don't know, whatever. Uh, it should be on all of them. So go subscribe and check that out. And if you have the time to give us five stars and review an Apple Podcast, that also does help us out a bunch. And again, Monday, Thursday, Friday will be the show. It's 2.30 Eastern every day. So come join us live as well. We are watching the chat we are paying attention we'll have a little more time to talk through things where we don't jam the show every single second with a an item of information we needed to get out there monday night football ride or die picks pete we are we don't know our our full schedule yet or our full uh rankings from week one based on what we put out there but we have to get back on the horse for a showdown one and as usual the captains will be in du jour uh for the situation pete and i will say Lamar Jackson is the obvious captain. So I feel like neither of us should be able to pick him because I think he's going to be the winning captain. I don't, I don't know how that wouldn't be, but like, I just think we shouldn't be able to pick him. (laughs)
1: Uh, I think that's fair. Um, okay. let's, let's take Lamar Jackson off the board. I'm seeing, uh, we're looking at about 30% ownership yes. for Lamar Jackson in the, which is
0: well-earned get, get low owned somewhere else, like play a lot of Lamar, I think would be the first thing for you e because he does run, he does pass and he doesn't pass anybody enough. So that's the first take we have to put out there. That's crucial for showdowns. Usually QB, not a plus EV move at captain, but I'm um, in this spot with Lamar. I think that's the one that is going to be high stone for good reason. So independent of that, Pete, who would be your pick for the Monday night football showdown captain?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, just doing my, my simplistic screener of who has the most upside and also perhaps the lowest ownership. I know that's not the exact name of this game, but that's how I'm going to play it. I'm going to put Marquise Brown in my captain slot here. Uh, I always like going with the kind of high upside, uh, wide receivers here. I think Mark, Mark Andrews could also be in contention, but I don't think Marquise Brown will be too popular. And there's lots of indications that, The Ravens are going to be a little bit more pass heavy this year. I know that's taken some hits with Bateman injury and all of that, but obviously they've been decimated at running back on the road here. Uh, I think we could see kind of a new look Ravens with just a little bit more passing. And I think Andrews and Brown will be the beneficiary. Marquise Brown, only 7,600. He is my captain.
0: I think that's a good move, and I'm actually just going to leverage against it because I was thinking Brown, too. Um, I think, well, Sammy Watkins is certainly going to get some runs. so I think that's a really interesting one for showdowns tonight, but I will take the more obvious play of of Mark Andrews. As our accountant Willis points out, by the way, Pete, you went 1-14 with three points. I went 2-13 with 13 points, so it's looking a lot like last year already.
1: <laughs> this
0: is why you follow
1: us uh did does edge sports know our records before they signed us
0: they don't fortunately they didn't ask that part <laughs> so that's the good thing but uh you know like that's the thing pete like we're going we're shooting for the moon we're not taking layups here and that's it's for entertainment value it's not for practical purposes the conversation is for practical purposes
1: yeah at the start we're talking about simping for sims and at the end we're just the fun guys like, <laughs> the
0: we're trying to play it both ways that's yeah. we want to have our cake and eat it too and that's uh being bad at the picks part we look we're going to to run hot some weeks guys week one is a tough one we gotta get the you gotta get the feel it's like being a boxer like you got to figure out the depth you know you got to get your range here that's uh we need the the Jameis lasik potentially there's a lot of things we need to address after week one
1: so uh, Andrews for you yep. Marquise Brown for me yeah Raiders uh four point uh home dogs I don't know mm. I'm I'm taking the Raiders with the points for the betting they've they were like very good uh at home last year they would play a lot of teams really close. And then, you know, Ravens, lots of injuries. So I think this will be a fun game. Uh, no one asked for my betting pick, but I just gave it.
0: No, I think that's a good one too. And it's worth pointing out the edge sports line. As I mentioned, sometimes falling into discrepancies can be a good move here. Uh, the edge sports line for this game is at 43. The books have it at 50. So maybe taking the under on the 50 would be a good move. And the edge sports line also minus one for the Ravens as opposed to uh, minus four in the books. So I think honestly, you could probably parlay those together and test for yourself here. Uh, my little theory that I've been testing here with some of the, the guinea pigs out there. If you want to be a splash play guinea pig slash an ed sports penny pig, uh guinea pig, You can go take those bets here um, because I think there is a little bit of juice going that way. And Pete, we've done it. We've done one full professional show. We didn't embarrass ourselves. I don't think we got ourselves canceled, though. Colin Joe Mixon, Mexican, maybe uh, towing the line (laughs) as close as the episode got. But any first thoughts here for our first show brought to us by Football Outsiders? and Of course, people should be subscribing to them as well at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe.
1: No, it feels good to be back in the saddle. I'm also, uh, last year we did this show late on Sunday nights and I was like mm. a shell of myself. <laughs> uh, by that time I'm just like, you know, trying to, uh, you know, power you did Thursday. your best.
0: You put on a brave face to your credit.
1: I yeah, but doing these in the afternoon now, bright-eyed and bushy-tail. I like that we have our set schedule of rolling on two thirties uh, on uh, weekdays. And like Spack said, might be a little variability there based on our guest on Friday. Uh, but yeah, excited to uh, settle into a normal cadence here
0: is yeah, subscribe on Pete's channel. Check out the splash Play channel as well. If you just want to see the episodes easily without um, having to funnel through Pete's content, though, obviously all of his content is worth checking out on the Peter Rovers channel and make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you got five stars and a review, sign our, our podcast. I don't know if we're going to do the guest book wedding thing. This that bit this year, but we'll think of I, something fun here. We'll, I we'll ran get... out
1: of analogies for that.
0: <laughs> it was it was doing well, though. I feel like the your your people were really trying their best to keep up with it. But it was it was a tough analogy to keep going for sure. <laughs>
1: There's only so many uh, wedding guest book analogies you can make.
0: <laughs> but either way, we appreciate you guys being on board for the first official show as part of Football Outsider. So thank you guys for watching. We'll be back on Thursday, 2.30 Eastern. So come join us then. And we appreciate you guys for tuning in. Catch you soon. Good luck. <laughs>